It's Wednesday, November 10th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. The brokerage app Robinhood is the latest company to have been hit with a data breach. In this case, it's affecting about 7 million users and has been linked to a phone call where a hacker duped a customer support staffer for access. No money has been lost yet, and most of the breach concerned names and email addresses, with about 300 people that had more details exposed. Still, there is a lot of concern as scammers can do a lot with just names and emails. Annie Massa, investing reporter at Bloomberg News, joins us for more. Next, we have seen walkouts and protests across the country at fast food restaurants, and now we'll take a look at a rebellion inside a McDonald's in Bradford, Pennsylvania. Workers at this fast food chain were unhappy with wages and conditions and banded together to walk out. Frustrated with the lack of support from the franchise owner and even corporate offices, the workers left, and in a good twist, all of them found better paying jobs. Online and elsewhere, these workers received scathing criticism saying they were entitled, but they also did get some support from others in the service industry. Greg Jaffe, national reporter at the Washington Post, joins us for how this walkout took place. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. After some kind of phone call that happened with a customer service representative, hackers were able to gain entry. So we don't have the specific details, but we know that there was some kind of human customer service involvement here. Joining us now is Annie Massa, investing reporter at Bloomberg News. Thanks for joining us, Annie. Hi, thanks for having me. Let's talk about this uh, data breach at Robinhood, the brokerage app. They say that about 5 million email addresses were compromised in the attack. I think about 2 million other people were affected. Also, just uh, I think their full names were stolen. But, uh, you know, this is uh, just another kind of another occurrence in the string of uh, some issues for Robinhood. Uh, So, Annie, what do we know about this uh, specific data breach? That's right. Robinhood revealed the information about this data breach yesterday evening in a blog post. Basically, what they said is that more than 7 million users had some kind of personal data given up, um, including email addresses and full names, as you mentioned. And then for a very limited handful of customers, there was even more personal data exposed. So that included for about 300 people, things like names, birthdays, and zip codes, and more extensive information even than that for a group of 10. So you had a breach of their systems that included these different layers of kind of uh, information being revealed. Yeah, and for those that had their uh, more of their information taken, you know, Robinhood still said that there hasn't been any money stolen or anything like that yet. <laughs> you know, we have to yet to see what will shake out and all that, but very concerning for them. And what are they saying on how it happened? Because they haven't released full details, but... Uh, It seems to be a customer service representative kind of messed up with this thing. They referenced kind of in some veiled language that a customer service representative was socially engineered, so manipulated in some way. They didn't say exactly what happened, but after some kind of phone call that happened with a customer service representative, hackers were able to gain entry. So we don't have the specific details, but we know that there was some kind of human customer service involvement here. And it is worth mentioning that Robinhood only recently moved to a phone support-based system, a a 24-7 phone support-based customer service system. So this is coming on the heels of that development. Tell me a little bit more about that because Robinhood has been uh, kind of criticized in the the past for not having 
uh, very good customer service. Uh, obviously, when we saw this all big investing frenzy in January, Robinhood was at the center of it. And they had a previous hack also where some people's money actually was stolen. And uh, there was reports that people were trying to call them. They couldn't get through. There was no number to call through. So this kind of goes into their history a little bit. But explain that because it caused them to hire a bunch of brand new customer service representatives. That's right. Not so long ago, Robinhood only had an email support-based customer service system. And there was a different kind of spate of hacking that happened last year where there was really a wake-up call. And afterwards, Robinhood kept hiring more and more customer service representatives. They built out their customer service centers in places like Arizona and Texas and Colorado. And they've been adding to that function. And then this year, they added this 24-7 phone support on a callback basis. But they did say in summarizing what happened with the hack, that there was some kind of mishap with uh, a customer service representative on the phone um, and that subsequently those uh, hackers were able to gain access to their systems. And it's worth mentioning that this is a much, much larger breach that we're talking about here. We're talking about more than 7 million users. So really roughly a third of their customers were touched in some way by this. Yeah, I know there's going to be invest, an investigation going. I'm, I'm curious if it'll be some type of training issue. Maybe the customer service rep wasn't properly trained, but we'll have yet to see what happens there. And, and you know, a lot of this, you, you've been writing about Robinhood for some time. A lot of this kind of flies in the face of this safety first mantra that the executives like to repeat. You know, they, they want it to be a safe place for people to go and spend their money and make all those transactions But this is all happening at a time right now while they're trying to expand as well. Right. We've seen so much explosive growth um, in in Robinhood's business over the the course of the pandemic. And then again, with the wave um, of investing in the wake of the meme stock rally that happened earlier this year. So they've really risen to the forefront. And when they went public over the summer, one of the mantras they kind of laid out, one of the guiding principles for the company is this safety first idea. They're operating in a very regulated industry. They're a Silicon Valley company. They're they're trying to prove that their brokerage is a responsible kind of steward of their clients' money. But even though hacking attempts and cybersecurity issues do affect a lot of companies, a hack of this scale um, uh, is a bit of a knock to that safety first message. And as far as growth, you know, things that they're trying to add to this, uh, they're trying to include retirement accounts in the future. They have a wait list for cryptocurrency wallets, which we know is a pretty volatile aspect of all of this. And they're trying to stay away from a lot of these meme coins and, and things like that. But that's not what the users want. Users want to be able to trade in all that. So how do they square that stuff away? That's right. So there are only seven different virtual currencies that you can trade on Robinhood right now. And that's pretty different from brokerages like crypto brokerages like Coinbase, for example, or even a brokerage like Webull that offer more coins. So that was a big topic around Shiba Inu coin, which is the next iteration almost of Dogecoin. It's a a little bit of like a joke on top of a joke crypto. Uh, Robinhood has not introduced that yet. And again, they've referenced that safety first idea that they're trying to go slow. But investors on the platform are clamoring for that kind of stuff. So it's all a balancing act that they have to keep in check as they're trying to stick to that message. Annie Massa, investing reporter at Bloomberg News. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you.
It's a fairly salty, angry petition. He faxes it off to the corporate office of the franchisee in Buffalo, who I think owns about 20, 25 of these McDonald's, and gets a message back saying, you know, essentially, hey, we were considering giving you a raise, but we're not now because we don't care for this petition. Joining us now is Greg Jaffe, national reporter at The Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Greg. Thanks for having me. I want to talk about an interesting story you wrote about uh, a fast food worker rebellion at a McDonald's in Bradford, Pennsylvania. You know, we had been hearing stories of walkouts happening across the country in, in, in different areas, you know, limited, not really anything big. But, you know, we saw something a couple of other uh, places. I think uh, there was one in Ohio. There was one in Nebraska at a Burger King where, you know, they put the sign up. We're all walking out because of a low pay and, and bad conditions. You detailed a story that happened in Bradford, as I mentioned, and uh, where, where a group of workers there at a McDonald's just said, hey, we've had enough. We're trying to get better pay. And uh, the owners, the uh, regional managers, nobody was really supporting them. So they took the matters into their own hand. So, uh, Greg, help us walk through some of this story. You start off talking about Dustin Snyder, who was uh, one of the uh, assistant general managers. Yeah, I think he just finally got to the point where, like a lot of retail workers, he just sort of blew. And I think what caused him to blow up was they just couldn't keep people. You know, they're paying nine twenty-five an hour in Bradford, Pennsylvania. The New York border is like 10 miles away, and there's a McDonald's maybe 17 miles away owned by the same owner in New York State where the minimum wage for fast food workers is $15 an hour. So these guys are making nine twenty-five. It's a twenty-minute drive away. The same workers are making fifteen for the exact same job. And as you can imagine, it's just really hard to keep workers under those circumstances. People were just leaving, and they couldn't staff the store, and they were getting blamed for their failure to staff right. the store. Yeah, and you know everybody knows kind of the cascading effects, right? Uh, mistakes at the uh, ordering window. Uh, mistakes with the food orders because you're getting this attrition and you're having new employees and it's hard to keep up and all the training, you know, that's how, you know, bad things start happening here. So what was the turning point exactly for Dustin Snyder who kind of organized the walkout? He he called his other employees around and he said, Hey, you know, this is not happening. He had already accepted another job at a lumber mill. So he was kind of on his way out already, but he persuaded others there to do this walkout with him. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. So I think the breaking point was they all sign a petition sort of demanding more pay. And even as Dustin accepts the job at the lumber mill, I mean, he likes McDonald's. He likes his coworkers. He likes being a leader. And so they write this petition saying, you know, we deserve more. 925 is not enough. It's a fairly salty, angry petition. He faxes it off to the corporate office of the franchisee in Buffalo, who I think owns about 20, 25 of these McDonald's and gets a message back saying, you know, essentially, hey, we were considering giving you a raise, but we're not now because we don't care for this petition. And so that just, I think, causes him to snap. He pulls everyone around him and says, look, these people don't care about us. They treat us badly. It's time for us to just leave, and I'll help everyone get jobs. Yeah, and I mean, I I guess uh, maybe the facts couldn't have been as salty, right? (laughs) But if, uh, you know, the managers are going to turn around and kind of be that way, yeah, that's going to be what snaps him, uh, snaps them for sure. So then what happens? They grabbed everybody. They said, we're going to do it. We're going to walk out. They were the day shift. So they walked out and uh, immediately there's lines of cars at the McDonald's. I guess uh, he called his general manager and kind of she was already on her way out of the company as well. But she decided she was going to come down and support uh, everybody. And as you mentioned, 
Dustin, for his part, uh, the assistant general manager, you know, he did say, I'm going to help everybody else try to get a better paying job. They knew of a Burger King down the street who was offering more money and just whatever they can do to help the crew that was walking out. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And so he does call his general manager, Stephanie uh, Kelly. She'd been with the company 10 years. And so she also decided to leave in the kind of the week before. So there's the walkouts out one day, but literally in the week before the walkout, other folks are starting to leave both uh, Stephanie and Dustin find other jobs. And so they walk out, the cars are at the drive-through. Stephanie texts the night shift crew saying, Hey, your day shift just walked out. You know, essentially, I think you should quit too. Let's all quit. But I respect whatever you do. You don't have to. And then uh, soon, you know, they're piling in the car to drive over to the Burger King and help everyone put in applications there. As I mentioned at the beginning, you know, we've seen other walkouts. There was a Burger King in Nebraska, Del Taco in Ohio. We don't really have any definitive numbers on these small scale walkouts. I guess the Bureau of Labor Statistics does keep track of them, but only when they're big major stoppages, you know, a thousand or more workers. But this is kind of emblematic of what we've seen throughout the country, especially as the pandemic hit and everything changed. I mean, so many stories are swirling around in the news right now about how the job market has completely been flipped upside down. And for these workers, low paying workers, you know, working tons of hours for the first time, they saw a little bit of power, hopefully that they can get something swing in their in their favor. And, that, you know, that's why they did it. Yeah, absolutely. I think everybody can sense that there's just been a bit of a power shift. They're more in demand, and so that's part of it. And then the other frustration, too, which we haven't talked about, is just, you know, masks and the fights over masks and how much stress the pandemic and those fights have put on low-wage workers, particularly service workers. Yeah, they were put in the middle of so many other, um, you know, competing factors, right? Uh, people not wanting to do it and regulations, you know, telling them that they had to. For this particular McDonald's, workers had started off at 825 because of the pandemic. Uh, they boosted it a dollar to 925, still very tough. What did we hear about as far as reactions from either the franchise owner or McDonald's corporate with this situation? The franchise owner didn't really respond to my many requests for interviews. I you know, sent a long list of sort of detailed questions about what was going on. McDonald's didn't either, other than to sort of express their concern and frustration with uh, many of the allegations in the story. So they said they were upset about that or concerned about that, uh, but beyond that, didn't really respond. So the other thing that plays out through all of this is, you know, you hear a story about low-wage workers, fast-food workers walking out of their job, and the reactions start piling in. I guess in this case, there was a Facebook group that, um, you know, was talking about this. And really, you just started seeing things on all sides of it, people calling them lazy, people doing this, some people sticking up for them, also saying, hey, you don't know what the conditions are like. Uh, tell me a little bit about that, because that's where the rest of it plays out kind of in the national conversation. Yeah, that's what I found so interesting. So Bradford's a pretty poor town. It's a sort of post-industrial town uh, that's lost a lot of jobs and a lot of people. And so this Facebook group is a really interesting just window into that debate. It's a members-only Facebook group, so you've got to ask to join. So most of the people are from Bradford. And so most of the people are not that different from many of these fast food workers. Some are making a little bit more. Some are making about the same. It's a lot of low-wage workers and a really fierce debate about whether they deserve more pay. A lot of people felt like, hey, you're flipping burgers. You signed up for it. You know, if you don't like it, it's your own fault. Others feeling like 
everyone deserves a living wage, especially if they're working hard and showing up every day. You know, we're talking about Dustin Snyder, the assistant general manager. He was pulling 60 hours a week, you know, at, at the peak of things when workers couldn't come in and he had to pull extra hours. You know, a lot of the criticism was like, you know, yeah, you deserve this low pay. Go get a job. Go get another job. Go back to school. I mean, that's pretty hard to do when you're pouring all of your time and effort into something like this. And as we mentioned, you know, the pay is not matching up. So uh, a lot of times people feel like they're in, in these kind of spirals. You know, you can't get out, really. Yeah, I felt that way, particularly about these McDonald's workers. When you're paying that low in terms of the folks who were there, so there are about 24 people working in the store when I, towards the end there, you know, at least five of them were people with special needs, either intellectual disabilities or physical disabilities, like epilepsy that prevented them from driving and operating a car. So you're only going to be able to work within walking distance of where you live. That really limits your options. Two others were 17-year-old girls who had been sort of forced out of their homes by their parents, so they were homeless and didn't have vehicles either. So a lot of people... All those, all that advice is great advice, you know, get better jobs, go back to school, get better training. All those things are great, but it's also beyond some people. Yeah, they started a uh, text group, I guess, with each other, and they called themselves the McRejects. You know, they kept in touch, and, and they tried to kind of support one another, which was nice. I do want to get towards the end of the story in all of this. One month later, you know, after things had kind of uh, cleared down. A lot of them did find better paying jobs, some at these other fast food restaurants. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, almost everybody found better paying jobs. Some, you know, Tim Horton's Donuts was paying $12 an hour. I know of at least three people that went there. Um, a couple went to Burger King, which was paying $10 an hour. You know, there's a lumber mill that's had desperate for kind of low skill workers. And a bunch of them, at least four, went to the lumber mill. You know, we're making, I think they started at 12 50 an hour, and some of these gotten raises beyond that. You know, and Dustin, for Dustin Snyder, for his part, uh, you know, comes out looking really good in this story, right? He did mention at the beginning, I want to help everybody find a better job. And, you know, when you get, when you caught up with him a month later, uh, he was waking up, he, he got a couple people a job at the lumber, bill, a lumber mill he was working at. He was waking up extra early in the morning, 4 a.m. in the morning to go pick them up, as you mentioned. Some of them didn't have cars or, or rides or anything. Uh, so he was at least going that extra mile to go help them out. And kind of the, the big slap in the face, I guess, right? They went through all of this. Uh, and he goes by that McDonald's at the end, and he sees that they have a, a new sign. They're hiring starting at $10 an hour. You know, some of that initial stuff that they were hoping for, that just give us a little bit more money, show us you appreciate us. They went through all of this. They walked out. At least they came out on top on the other side. But in the end, the McDonald's had to end up raising some of the wages anyways. Yeah, yeah, and I think Justin took that as a slap in the face in part because he realized it really wasn't about the pay. It was a little bit about the pay, but it was more about just, you know, letting him and the others know who was really boss around here and it, making it clear it wasn't them. Greg Jaffe, national reporter at The Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. Yes, thanks a ton for having me. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive was produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive. <laughs>